Welcome to The Winsome Creationist, where we explore God's world using a model-building approach, interact with a gracious tone, and take a firm stand on the literal truth of creation found in God's Word. Join host Steve Schramm and occasional guests as they explore the mysteries and majesties from creation to the flood, Babel to the cross, and everywhere in between. And now, here's your host. Hey, everyone. Welcome back in to another episode of the Winsome Creationist Podcast. Hope you guys are doing well this Christmas season. I don't know when you're listening. Maybe you're listening to this later, but as I'm recording this, it is December 22nd. 2022. We're gearing up for Christmas season and I couldn't be more excited. Christmas movies, coffee, warm weather, hoodies, all of that stuff. Um, I'm having fun. But of course, the reason we celebrate Christmas is Christ. Despite the best efforts of naturalism and materialism and consumerism and evolutionism and all of these things to remove Christ from Christmas, literally the Advent, the birth of Christ from marking time, even in the calendars of the timekeeping systems that we use, Christ remains. And it remains true that there is no Christmas without Christ. And it remains true that creation and Christmas, creation and Christ are inextricably linked. And in today's uh, episode of the podcast, I just kind of want to explore that linkage with you. Talk about creation and Christmas what the New Testament has to say about the relationship between the creation account and Genesis and how Christ's story links up with that, how the New Testament deals with that, the biggest parallels that we have in between creation and Christmas in the Bible, and even one that is a little bit maybe less thought of or less known um, and that some of you may not even agree with, but that I'm excited to talk about. So we're going to be diving into those things today. First of all, I just wanted to say Thank you so much for the early response and great response that we've had. I'm super excited about what this podcast seems to be generating and, and doing, and um, I'm really pumped for the future. I, I'm probably, as you can hear in my voice, I'm still a little sick, um, so I may have to take a couple breaks uh, throughout to, to, to cough or something like that. Um, so I'll try to edit those out so that you don't have to deal with too many of them, but just know they might be there. Uh, you might can hear it in my voice. I'm still a little under the weather, so I'm going to try to get through this. Uh, I really wanted to have an episode for you guys on Christmas. So first of all, let me just start out by saying Merry Christmas to you. Thank you for choosing to to take any of your time to listen or watch this podcast. If you didn't know, you can grab this podcast on YouTube. You can also go listen on your favorite podcast player. We're on Spotify, Overcast, iTunes, Pocket Casts, uh, whatever podcast app you listen on, you can find us there. All right. So God bless. Merry Christmas. Thank you guys for listening in. So. I do. I want to talk about these important parallels between the creation account and the Christmas story. So that's where we're going to start. We're going to start out with these parallels. Then we'll dive into some more of the specifics about the New Testament. And then uh, we'll talk about point three, which is going to be a um, really exciting, or I guess I should say it'd be point four. No, it's po yeah, po point four. Point four that we're going to cover. Um, I'm going to save it for, for a minute. Some of you, if you've been uh, listening or, or, or reading my content for a while, you might know what it is, but maybe you won't. So I'm going to save it, and uh, so stick around for point number four. All right, so let's deal with this. So the biggest and most important parallels between creation and Christmas, okay? Many of these parallels are easily seen if you think about them for about a minute and a half, but 
we don't often think about them because we're not often thinking about Christmas, even if we're often thinking about Christ. We don't often think about the advent, about the actual birth of Christ. We, we tend to reserve our thinking of that time period for a certain time of the year. And for understandable reasons, even though I'm not necessarily saying that that's a good thing. So here are some of the parallels that we talk about between the two. The first one is this idea of new beginnings, new beginnings. Now, of course, we as, as creationists, you know, traditional creationists, that's what we sort of support here on this channel. We don't believe that the original creation was any sort of a recreation. You know, we don't believe in the gap theory. Um, I don't hold to the idea that the earth is millions of, of years old, or, or, or excuse me, rather that the universe is millions of years old, but the earth is only thousands of years old. I don't hold to any of those, uh, any of those views. Um, it is kind of interesting, though, that many uh, scholars of the Bible, Old Testament, Hebrew, Semitic scholars, do find this idea of bringing the darkness and, and chaos of creation um, into order during creation week. Now, what some want to do, what some want to do is take this parallel uh, between, because we find this sort of thinking in um, other ancient Near Eastern creation accounts as well, taking chaos and turning it into order. And so it just kind of stops there. And it's like, oh, well, of course, right? Genesis is just this outgrowth of these other ancient Near Eastern parallels. After all, you know, it was written later than many of them. And so it's just borrowing these ideas. Well, I don't think that's true at all. I do think there's fair to, it's fair to say that there's some element of God bringing order from chaos in the creation account. But it, it's not like it stops there. It goes further than that. It does lead into the idea that the problem that's wrong with the world is not chaos, but sin. And we find that in, in Genesis 3. Of course, when God created the world, he was not warring with other gods. There, there was no war going on in heaven that Yahweh won, and thus creation took place. Okay, that is a kind of motif that is found all throughout other ancient Near Eastern creation accounts, and that is not what happened. So for the biblical account, what it means to bring creation into order from chaos is the chaos of the original world. Again, we, we believe God created what would basically amount to a, a water world. There was no form. The Bible says it was without form and, and void. Later in Jeremiah, we see the, the theme used with very similar words to, to say, um, to basically give the idea of uncreation. Whatever order was being brought about in the creation week, um, the, the, the writer in Jeremiah, he, he was creating this parallel between that creation, and I forget the exact passage, I guess it would help if I had that, but he was uh, creating this parallel there, showing that the, the desolation, the destruction in the land was, was akin to uncreation. It was like tearing that creation apart, okay? And so what we saw in the beginning is God creating order from void, from blank, from darkness, from nothing. It was a brand new beginning. It was a new beginning for the earth. And in that very same way, we see in the Christmas story, Jesus bringing light into the world in a whole new way, redeeming and restoring humanity from the chaos and darkness of sin that had been brought into the world originally as a result of the sin of Adam and Eve. It was, it was hope. It was that promised redemption that we saw all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. The second important parallel is redemption and salvation. Redemption and salvation. And see, this is where 
um, most of the interpreters who want to talk about chaos and order in the beginning go wrong because they don't get to this next point, redemption and salvation. We're not just trying to reconcile with a world that is out of order. We have souls that are lost and are in need of salvation. So both the creation account and the account of Jesus' birth have these motifs of redemption and salvation in it. God creates the world, establishes order and purpose. Of course, we later see that sin proliferates in the world. And what happens? God sends a flood to destroy the world. But God remembered Noah. The Bible says Noah was perfect in his generations. And what that means, a lot of people think it has like biological connotations and this, that, and the other thing. Based on the study that I've done, the best I can tell what that means is that in the generation that he lived, Noah was blameless, okay? Noah was a preacher of righteousness, and this makes sense in the context. Noah was the one who God chose based on his faithfulness, his righteousness, God's goodness, God's grace. He chose Noah to create that ark of salvation and start over anew with humanity again, okay? So just as Noah was sort of in charge there of, of the ark of salvation through God's grace, bringing his family through the flood so that God could begin again with humanity, the same thing happened in Jesus. Jesus was the ark. Jesus is the ark for a new generation. God promised he would never flood the world again. But he will destroy the earth again with fire. Read Second Peter chapter 3. The earth will be destroyed. There will be judgment. A new heaven and a new earth will be created. And Jesus is the ark of salvation to carry us through there. So the creation accounts and the, and the, and the Christmas story are both intertwined in the themes of redemption and salvation. Next, we have divine intervention. Of course, both elements involve these stories of just straight up divine action, divine intervention. God acts in history. This is the important point. We can see in both the creation story and in the Christmas account that God is not a deistic God. Okay, He is not the God, despite how many feathers I might ruffle, of evolutionary creationism. He is not the God who winds up the clock in the very beginning and sets it out in motion. God is very involved. He is very active. He is very present in creation. Things happen in history that matter. A great book that covers this is uh, The Bible Among the Myths by Dr. John Oswald. He talks about the fact how in, in other stories, in, in other ancient Near Eastern stories and, and, and myths and creation accounts and all of these things, what you often have is a God who is intertwined with, with nature or multiple gods, rather, who, who are uh, intertwined with nature and, are, and often given um, names and uh, descriptions that are consistent with different forces of, of nature. And he describes this continuity worldview over and against the Bible's transcendence worldview. Okay, For the biblical worldview, what happened in history mattered. On the continuity worldview, on the worldview of the other ancient Near Eastern cultures, what happened in history did not matter. Okay, it was you, you couldn't help it. It was it was fatalistic in a certain sense. Whereas in the biblical account, God is outside of creation and yet acts inside of creation. Real choices matter. The consequences of sin matter. The effects of what you do in your life 
matter. So God intervenes in creation. He intervened in, in the flood and using the ark of salvation to bring God's people through that judgment. And he will use Jesus to bring God's people through that judgment as well. Divine intervention and interaction in history. Jesus became one of us. He took on flesh. Do you see how amazing that is and how important it is and how it sets us apart from other beliefs, other religions, other ancient worldviews? And then finally, of the, of the kind of more abstract parallels here, is God's presence with his people, right? God didn't have to create anything. You realize this. Yahweh, the creator of the universe, the God of the Hebrews, God of the Old Testament and the New, he did not need you or me to feel complete. He was not missing something. He was perfectly fine, perfectly satisfied, perfectly enveloped in a loving relationship with the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. No need for human beings. And yet he loved us so much that he wanted us to be able to share in his creation, share in his glory, share in his image. So creation signifies God's presence with his people. Heaven and earth coming together in one place, the Garden of Eden, showing what that relationship could be like. And now we're the ones who messed it up. But God wants to restore that. And he does restore that through Jesus. He comes to earth again, shows his presence with his people again. And then when Jesus ascends after the resurrection, he again sends his presence into the world through the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And if I were just to summarize the Bible's attitude toward the Holy Spirit, there's a great book that talks about this called uh, Gentle and Lowly uh, by Dane Orland, fantastic book. The Holy Spirit is the continuation of the Spirit of Christ on the earth. And it's not... We have something better. Okay, get this. This is so cool. We had now have something better than being in the presence of Jesus, walking like uh, Peter or John or one of those disciples. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit of God, which is, according to the New Testament, the Spirit of Christ living inside of each and every one of us. The Spirit of the one who stepped out on nothing, to use a pastorism, and said, let there be, is the same one who has recreated our hearts and souls and who is living inside of us today. It's an amazing, amazing thought that we have union with Christ through the Holy Spirit of God. All right, so those are some of the more sort of abstract parallels between creation and Christmas. Those are some of the themes that uh, the Bible really brings out and, and talks about that we don't often think about because they're not like, you know, direct um, things that we read in the text, but they are pretty obvious, I think, once you look at them, uh, parallels that can be brought together and, and thought of. I hope you're enjoying this so far. If you are watching on YouTube, why don't not just give it a like? Let somebody else know about this podcast. Subscribe if you're not subscribed already uh, to the channel. Would absolutely uh, love that. And if you're a podcast listener, look, podcasts just don't spread very easily on their own. Uh, it's all about word of mouth and letting other people know. So if you wouldn't mind telling somebody else that you love the Winsome Creationists and that you would like for them to become a listener as well, you think that what we do here on the podcast is cool, then um, that would be awesome. I would love for you to share it with them. Um, no, I know that I have a, a lot of solo episodes here lately. Um, I'm mostly a solo episode podcaster. That's historically what I've done the most of. Um, 
although I have worked in interviews occasionally as well. I am in the process of getting lots of interviews ready um, and gathered. Of course, it's the Christmas season, so some people aren't as available as they would normally be. There's a couple books that I'm reading in preparation for getting some authors on. So uh, don't worry, we're going to have some great guests coming up in the very near future, just working out all those details and scheduling, and, uh, and, and we'll get that going as well. So hopefully in the future, we'll have a pretty good mix of interviews and solo episodes as well. All right, so let's move on. So how about the direct connections between the creation account and the Christmas story in the New Testament? Now, we're not going to cover all of these that we could possibly uh, cover, okay? Uh, But we are going to mention a few. And again, many of these are a lot of the direct New Testament references to how Jesus works in to the elements of the creation account. And I think one of the reasons this is important is because when we think of Christmas, we often think only about the baby in the manger. And sure, that's extremely important. The fact that God took on flesh at all, left heaven, became the baby in the manger is huge. But who that baby in the manger grew up to be. And then in John, especially, which we're going to talk about in a minute, we find out who he was is what makes it really, really incredible. So let's talk through some of these uh, allusions here and some of these um, mentions between creation and Christmas. Okay, first we have John 1, 1 through 5. And actually that whole chapter uh, is really just amazing, especially up through uh, verse 14 is kind of the, uh, the culmination. And again, it talks about how Jesus, this man, right? Mary, did you know that your baby boy was Lord of all creation? This man, Jesus, the baby born, in the manger, was actually the second person of the Trinity, the creator of the world, of the cosmos. He was present at creation and is responsible for having created everything that exists. This man, this miracle worker, this rabbi who calmed the wind and the waves, who healed the sick, who comforted the poor and the oppressed, who led 12 disciples, many of them fishermen, right? And then you got Matthew, the tax collector, you know, rough and tumble guys, regular dudes, not the religious, you know, high priests of the day. In fact, those were his enemies. Pretty crazy. Led them to turn the world upside down through his ministry. And what, what else could we expect of the creator of the universe, the creator of the cosmos? So John 1, 1 through 5 is an obvious, obvious parallel with the creation account. In Genesis 1, we see God creating, and we get the details of that. And I think those details matter, by the way. In John 1, we learn that Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, took part in that creation. It was him who stepped out on nothing and said, let there be. What an amazing thought. What did Jesus say before Abraham was? I am. (laughs) Boy, that made the religious leaders of the day extremely uncomfortable. They thought Jesus was a blasphemer. And ultimately, that talk got Jesus the punishment of death on the cross. But all in God's good timing, all in God's plan, it was exactly what was needed in order to engender the salvation of the world. Through the disbelieving Jews through the Pharisaical Jews, through the sinful Jews, through those who cast Jesus to the side, who called him a devil, who called him a blasphemer, 
God was able to bring the restoration of all humanity who will believe on his name. God can use anybody, even you. Colossians 1, 15 through 20 is another one of these great verses that speaks about the fact, again, that Jesus is the one through whom all things were created. And also he's the one through whom all things consist. Jesus is holding it all together. Jesus is the fabric. He's the glue, if you will, of creation. Were God to snap his fingers, it would all just come crumbling down if God wanted it to, if it was God's will. In creation, what you see, this is amazing. In creation, what you see is that when God commanded, the earth responded. Maybe I should say it like this. When God commanded, creation responded immediately. The Bible says he commanded and it stood fast. Okay, it wasn't this long, gradual process. That's not what we see in the biblical account. What we see is, let there be, and then there was. And Colossians 1, 15 to 20, speaks about these ideas, speaks about how creation is um, held together by Christ and through whom all things uh, consist and exist. Pretty amazing stuff. Romans 5. 12 through 21. It's another great example. And by the way, we just don't have time to, to read all these passages. So please go look them up on your own time. You will find a, a read through and study of these passages. Extremely beneficial. I wish we had time to go through them here on the podcast, but uh, it would take double the time if we read all of these references. And so I want to keep these relatively short for you. So Romans 5, 12 through 21, of course, is the key passage in the New Testament linking the sin of the first Adam and the uh, goodness, the sinlessness of the second Adam together and us finding our place in that story. So in, of course, Genesis 3 and beyond, we find the world is in sin, in shackles through Adam. We have the curse of death upon us, Romans 5.12 says. Um, through Adam came sin, and then because of that, death spread to all men. And so we all die. We all die as a consequence of that sin and as a consequence of our own sin because we sin too, right? There is no one righteous. No, not one. And yet Christ comes into the picture and he gives us the ability to live in him, the ability to have union with Christ so that he can come as the second Adam, live the perfect sinless life that Adam missed out on. And we, although we are bound, Again, we are uh, in this world. This world is the world that was marred by sin and death. We still die, but we are in Christ. So we have the ability to have the righteousness of God imputed to our account, judicially speaking, such that when God the Father looks at us, he sees God the Son. Okay, my friends, so I want to break in here with some bad news and then maybe some good news. So uh, I uh, had recorded about... 20-ish more minutes, maybe 15 or so, 15 to 20-ish more minutes in this podcast episode. I wanted to get to sort of the, the thing that I alluded to in the very beginning that was going to be kind of a controversial point. Um, and I, I recorded all of that, and uh, unfortunately, it, it did not come through. And it took a long time to get through because I'm still pretty sick. So I'm going to ask for a little bit of grace here at the end of this episode. I'm going to come back and, and re-record it, and I want to actually do it in a better way than I had originally planned, give a little bit more details, a little more arguments for the position, rather than just briefly explaining the connections like I was doing um, 
before. That unfortunately, that part of the recording was lost. Uh, I don't know what happened. It didn't record uh, the last little bit of of what I just. Uh, the last few things that I said, I just re-recorded, um, and then the whole next section of the podcast and conclusion, it didn't record. I hate to do that to you, but I'm going to ask you to wait till next week for me to cover that more controversial connection between creation and Christmas. And so it'll be a little bit after Christmas Day, but I think still a great time to cover this stuff, and um, I think... I'll be able to do it in a way that is better for the audience and I think will make more sense. So I do ask for your grace there. I ask for your prayers. It did take me quite a while to get through this recording. I had to stop because uh, I'm so sick. So um, um, again, please give me your grace and I'm looking forward to covering this with you next time on The Winsome Creationist and I'm going to just hold off to tell you even what it is uh, because again, I think it's going to be a little bit unexpected and uh, you might appreciate it as well. All right, God bless. Merry Christmas. Guys, Take this time to love on your family, to thank God for what he did for you, to thank Christ for his sacrifice, for coming to earth. I think it's a great sacrifice. Obviously, the cross is is the ultimate sacrifice, but it was also a sacrifice for God to leave his home in heaven for, for Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, to leave his home in heaven, take on the form of a man, and dwell with us here on earth. Thank him for that. Both of those sacrifices this Christmas season. I love you guys. God bless you. Thanks for being a listener to The Winsome Creationist, and we'll see you on the next one.